am so honored to get to be here in the house that God built through Pastor E and Pastor J and Pastor Jesse and Liza and um, lots of other um, Jesse siblings. Um, I'm just, I'm so sorry. I loved Kayla last night and I thought I can't start saying names other than Pastor J and Pastor E because I'll miss some of the brothers and sisters, but it's rare to be in a house where the whole, you just got this, um, it all feels like family. And so I need to warn y'all, because sir, I know you weren't here last night, I'm a spitter. So we're going to be super family because y'all are going to get wet and we're going to call it a baptism. Um, But uh, Jesse and I actually connect way back. We have several really close mutual friends in London. So I had heard about True North across the pond. So to actually get to be here, um, I, I kind of feel like it's Christmas Eve. I'm excited to be with y'all, even though I can't see you. If you ever, if it's ever okay, I know this is cool, but I'm so much older than Pastor Jesse. If you pull the lights up just a hair, um, because I can't see, and it's gonna be really sad when I fall off the stage and one of them has to go to the hospital because I'm in a fluffy season. So anyway, um, reach out and touch that saint next to you. Let's pray that through his spirit, God will make his word clear to us this morning. Jesus, 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 King Jesus, Lord Jesus, the Christ, the anointed one, the Alpha and the Omega, the lover of our soul, Adonai, the Christ, Jesus, 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 thank you that when you ascended into heaven, ascended at the right hand of God our Father, you didn't leave us as orphans, but you left us your spirit, Holy Spirit, who even this morning reminded those of us who know you that we have the right to call God Dad. Jesus, we confess as your sons and daughters and some who are still seeking, wondering how a God like you could love us, Um, We confess we can't understand this love letter called the Bible apart from your spirit. So we pray that this morning you would use spirit to to take any distraction away from us, any scales on our eyes, our hearts, our ears, so that we would actually see you. We would hear the gospel more clearly. For some of us, we just need to be reminded of the miracle you've so graciously written us into. And for others, Jesus, they, they need to believe that you see them, not just the corporate community here at True North, but you see them, you know their name, you know their story, you love them personally. So um, would we pray for revival? An audacious prayer early on a Sunday morning, but we pray that you would revive us today, that we would be so undone by your kindness that uh, it would kind of catapult us from this place and the people we have brunch with or dinner with tonight would go, what happened to you? <laughs> What's different about you? And we'd be able to say, I was blind and now I see. I can't explain everything that happened, but I was blind and now I see. Jesus, thank you, thank you, thank you that you're an accessible God. You're not a far away deity, but you're an up close accessible savior. So help us to see you more clearly this morning. And all of God's men and women in Jersey said, amen. Um, We're going to dive right into the text. So if you brought your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, Pastor Jesse was very, very gracious and giving me a lot of latitude. He did not know he was giving a Southern woman who grew up half Baptist that much latitude when he said, you can just preach on whatever the Lord's laid on your heart. I said, how long do you have? Um, 
because I am nothing if not a windbag, and I love Mark's gospel. So we're going to, I think, be in Mark all morning. Um, I'm not positive. We might skip back to Song of Solomon, because that's fun, and for second service, I heard they're not as fun as y'all are, and so, so I thought we might <laughs> do Danielle Steele in the Bible, second service. I'm not sure, but anyway, we're going to be in Mark chapter one right now, because Mark is the very first gospel. When they canonize scripture, and that's just a fancy word that means when they collate it into a cohesive book, they put Matthew as the first gospel after the, the Torah, after the Hebrew scriptures, they put Matthew. But Matthew, in chronological order, is not the first gospel. Mark is the very first literary compilation of the earthly life and ministry of Jesus Christ. Do y'all remember who wrote the gospel according to Mark? Y'all can talk back. I'm not your pastor. <laughs> Do y'all remember who wrote it? Yeah, Mark, it's not a trick question. But do you remember who the narrative voice is in Mark's gospel? Because remember, to be a gospel account, it's supposed to be an eyewitness account. So somebody is supposed to have been there during those 33 years that Jesus was incarnate. Do you remember who the, the narrative voice is? So Mark's in a coffee shop typing on his iPad, typing this gospel. But somebody else is walking back and forth going, and then Mark, you wouldn't believe it. Then there was this blind man and Jesus put mud on it. Somebody's telling him the stories. Do you remember who the narrative voice is? Peter, exactly. Peter is the narrative voice of Mark's gospel. Do y'all remember Pete? Okay, he's my favorite of the 12 because he's such a hot mess. He is always stepping in holes. He talks before he prays. He is a hot mess. That's why I have so much hope. Wouldn't you hate it if every single story in biblical narrative was like perfect people with high metabolisms? I mean, that would be so hard for me. I love that he includes the stories of people who didn't have it all together. Peter is the, the kind of infamous Benedict Arnold of the Easter story. He's the one who threw Jesus under the bus. I'm sure Pastor E and Pastor, Pastor J and Pastor Jesse have spoken about this many, 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 many times through the years at True North during the Easter season. How Peter's the one who said, Lord, I'll never, I'll never betray you. I'm all in. And you remember before the rooster crowed three times, vehemently and vulgarly, Peter said, I don't know the man, threw in expletives to convince the crowd because he was scared, slammed to death when they arrested Jesus that they would arrest him too. Jesus restores him. We're not gonna talk about that this morning, but his story is filled with mistakes. And I love that, not to, not to highlight sin. Sin is a big deal, y'all. If sin wasn't a big deal, Jesus could have just done detention to redeem us. Sin's a huge deal. It separates us from a holy God. That's why we have to have a cross. But his grace is greater still. You see it in Pete's story. You also see it in Mark's story. The, the one who is typing this gospel. His story isn't quite as familiar as Pete's. But if you turn to Acts chapter 12, you don't have to. We're going to stay in Mark. But just trust me on this. Check me later. Acts chapter 12 talks about Mark's mama. And Mark's mama was a leader in the early church. And there's a story where they gather at Mark's mama's house. Now stop and think, these stories really happened. They aren't fables. This is after the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the book of Acts, early church. It's just getting started. Remember before y'all were in this building where you're still checking, uh, stacking chairs at the high school? It's kind of that era for the early church. So they're having church at Mark's mama's house. Mark is a teenager. Can't you just see him when he's supposed to be upstairs studying algebra two? 
and instead he's on the landing listening to everything that's going on because these are exciting times. You know, Peter's coming in from prison going, I don't know, I can't even explain it. Just the bars fell off. It was stinking unbelievable. Everybody started singing hymns and then the jailer got saved. Those are the stories he's hearing as a young man. You better bet he went to camp like Kayla. And so when... When Paul, remember he's a leader in the early church who was blinded on the way to Costco when he was a stinker and then he became a believer. When Paul and Barnabas, those were the first two post-resurrection missionaries, when Paul and Barnabas planned the very first, very first mission trip to share the gospel with the rest of the world, they include John Mark before he became Mark because he's an adult. You know how if you have a double name, boys are always like, Don't call me Jimmy Bob anymore. Just call me James. He used to be John Mark, but then he became Mark. Well, prior to writing this gospel, he was the youngest member on the very first mission trip. It's in Acts chapter 15. Do y'all remember that mission trip? I mean, it went amazing until the end. And people are getting saved. Marriages are getting healed. I mean, it's unbelievable. But they get to the end of the planned mission trip. And, and Paul looks at his, at his iCal and says, I know we're supposed to be heading back to Jerusalem, but y'all, this has been sticking amazing. Let's extend this a little longer. And John Mark, who's a teenager, do y'all remember his response? This is the message point two version. This isn't exactly Greek, but it's close enough. He says, I don't wanna stay on the road with y'all any longer. This is gross. We've got 10 men in one day's in room. This is nasty. My iPad battery won't charge anymore. I wanna go home to my mama. That's, that's, again, not Greek, but it's close. He says, I don't want to stay out any longer. And so they, they go back home, largely because of John Mark. And when they plan the second, only the second mission trip in Christian history, Barnabas says to Paul, hey, I know John Mark was kind of a baby on the first mission trip, but I've been discipling him at Starbucks. He's really grown in his faith. What do you think about us including him on the next mission trip, Paul? And this is close to the Greek. Paul says, no, no, I don't trust him. He messed up the first one. I don't want some sissy baby mama's boy on the second mission trip. And it says there arose, remember Pastor Jay? There arose such a sharp disagreement between Paul and Barnabas over the issue of John Mark that it says they parted ways. Y'all, Paul, Apostle Paul and Barnabas, they were like the gospel beetles, They were so effective in sharing the living hope of Jesus Christ. So John Mark was effectively the first Yoko Ono. So you've got (laughs) Peter who threw Jesus under the bus at his most poignant moment of need. And you've got John Mark, and we're told in Mark chapter 14, verse 50 or 51, that he's also the one who was standing outside the Garden of Gethsemane when Pete betrayed the Christ. And it says, John Mark, he was a young man then. It says he got so scared by all the commotion, he dropped his cloak. You know what that means? They didn't have Hanes his way in the first century. So he dropped his cloak and he sprints off. So he betrayed Jesus too. It's just he went a step further than Pete. He was buck naked. Now remember the context, because I'm not trying to be crazy in church. Those are the two yahoos that our sovereign God said, who will I choose to compile the very first literary account of my life and earthly ministry? I'll choose two men culture wouldn't choose. I'll choose two guys with massive mistakes in their bios. These aren't two guys who are showing up every morning 
at True North stacking chairs and, and parking cars. These are two guys who smell like smoke from the night before. These are two guys who really messed up. I'll choose them because I want to prove how powerful my redemption is. That no matter what your backstory is, not only can you be redeemed, you can actually be used for kingdom purposes. There's so much hope. Before we even get into the story, before we even get into the story, there's so much hope just in authorship. I told uh, our estrogen festival last night, one of my favorite living theologians. I, I love all the dead guys, but this guy's still living. His name is Dr. Craig Keener. And he says, if you get out of the Bible what you're expecting to get out of the Bible, you need to raise your expectations because it's always bigger. It's always better. Before we even get into the story, just authorship shows how kind our king is. Mark chapter one, verse 40 this is the first encounter in the first gospel account where Jesus actually talks back and forth with someone. There's an encounter before this, but this is really the first relational encounter. Mark chapter four, verse 40. And a leper came to Jesus, imploring him and kneeling, said to Jesus, if you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. Short little story. It's, it's beautiful in the original context, but it's even better if you get what was going on culturally. You've got a leper. First century, a leper is not allowed to be in society. So if there was a leper here this morning, he couldn't even be in the parking lot. It was actually legally incumbent upon lepers. It's the oldest recorded biblical disease. And it's a highly contagious disease. So they had very strict ceremonial laws about what a leper could do and couldn't do and where a leper could be and couldn't be. And lepers were not allowed around well society. I became a mom through the miracle of adoption the year I turned 50, um, brought uh, my baby girl home from Haiti. And the reason I got written into Missy's story is because her first mama, Marie, who I can't wait to meet in glory. Her first mama, Marie, lived in a rural Haitian village and contracted AIDS from a guy several villages over that she dated. And in Haiti, there's such a strong voodoo culture where my daughter was born that they don't even call AIDS AIDS. They call it the wasting disease and they believe it's a voodoo curse. And so Missy's biological mama was hidden in a shack the people I knew who'd moved into the village to create a feeding program and a holistic school and all these things to try to bring change to this village, they didn't even know my little girl. I'm her second mother. They didn't even know she had a mother. Her great aunt brought her to the feeding program. And so the reason I get to be a mom is because Missy's first mom was ostracized. And when they finally brought her to the hospital, she died en route. My little girl has HIV. She also happens to be the most beautiful cafe au lait color you've ever seen. So much more beautiful than your pale children here in Jersey. <laughs> but because I live in Tennessee, about an hour north of where the KKK was founded, there are people who completely ostracize Missy and I because we're a transracial family and then the fact that Missy has HIV. All kind of walls go up when people find that out, 
that is just the tiniest idea of the extreme segregation, the extreme marginalization a leper felt in the first century. They're not allowed to be around well people. It was incumbent upon them, legally incumbent, that anywhere they went, they had to scream, unclean, unclean, unclean. So anybody within hearing distance would know, don't get close to him or her, that's a leper. And then just in case they were around people who were hard of hearing, it was also legally incumbent for lepers to dress in rags and they couldn't tend to their hair. They had leper dreads. And so that's why you see in in Luke's account of Jesus encountering 10 lepers from a distance, he and the disciples could tell they were lepers. They could tell because of the way the guys were dressed, because of the way the guy's hair was so gnarly. They could see from a distance. So to be a leper in the first century is to be the, the most marginalized citizen in your community. You can't be around anybody else. You can't have anybody touch you. If you unwittingly brushed against a leper when you're in the grocery store, you would be rendered ceremonially unclean and you would be ostracized until you went through this whole kind of cleansing ceremony through a, through a priest. So this guy, Mark and Pete tell us, is outside the city. He's outside the city because he's not allowed inside the city. He's outside the city begging for alms. No one will hire him. He's begging for food, a little bit of food, a little bit of money to keep himself alive. He looks up and he sees Jesus. Jesus is walking into the city. If you ever get the privilege to go to to literal Israel, you'll see the ancient walls that used to be around the city. That was to protect the city from all the people groups that, that meant the Jews harm. So there's these walls. Jesus is walking into one of those gateways. The leper's sitting on the outside, effectively uh, discommunicated. And Jesus is walking in. The leper looks up, recognizes it's Jesus, and says, Lord. And even that little word gives you a clue as to the leper's heart. Because in the New Testament, the word Lord always comes from the Greek word Adonai, which means the Christ. In other words, the leper doesn't look up and see Jesus and go, oh, wow, that's dude I've seen on TBN. I mean, everywhere he goes, you know, he, he's just amazing. Paralytics do cartwheels when they run into this guy. I heard when he preaches, people don't play Angry Birds because he's so engaging as a communicator. That's how most people thought when they saw Jesus. Not the slipper. The slipper looks up and doesn't say, oh, he's a gifted rabbi. He looks up and says, that's the son of God. That's the one we've been praying for for centuries. He is Adonai. That is the Christ. So even the way he addresses Jesus shows the posture of his heart. I recognize you are the Christ. And then he says something so poignant. He says, if you wanted to, if you wanted to, you could heal me. You just see the humility there. I get it if you don't want to be close to me, Jesus. Nobody else does. I get it if all you see is the fact that I've lost my connective tissues, so my ears are just little shrunken clumps on the side of my head. I have no nose. My gums have beginning to recede. I've lost most of my teeth. I emit a horrible stench because of the way that my flesh is eroding. My hair has been bleached white. I'm contagious. I get it, Jesus, if you don't wanna come close, but I believe you're the Christ, and if you wanted to, you could heal me. The response of our Jesus is stunning, y'all. He says, 
that he's willing. It says in my Bible, it says moved with pity. That's the beginning of verse 41. Uh, There's several phrases in the English translated from one word. What does your Bible say, beginning of verse 41? Some say moved with compassion. Anybody have moved with compassion? Anybody have a New Living Translation? It says Jesus was made indignant by the man's plight. Anybody have anything else? Four or five. What does your Bible say? Very beginning of verse 41. Filled with compassion. Anybody have the moved with pity? I have ESV moved with pity. Pastor Jesse, what does is, what is yours say? You and Liza say. Most of them say something along the lines of you just sense this visceral response from Jesus, which is appropriate because the word in Greek that those phrases come from is splognitsomai. It's a funky sounding word. The reason that a little bit of it sounds, sounds familiar is that's the word we get the word spleen from. Splagnon is the root word. Splognitsomai, when it says Jesus was moved with compassion, filled with pity. He was, he was made angry by this man's plight. All of those English phrases come from one single word in the original text, splognitsomai. It means from the guts of God, from the guts so Jesus doesn't see this dude whose who's hair's bleached white, who has no teeth, whose skin is coming off, sloughing off in shreds, who's completely marginalized. He doesn't see him and think, bummer, dude needs a good dermatologist. That's nasty right there. That's not the response of our Savior. He sees this man and it says he's filled with compassion at his gut. Jesus doesn't look at us and roll his eyes, y'all. He is not bugged by us. He doesn't tolerate us from the gut of our God. He's moved with kindness. He's moved with compassion. He is not dispassionate. He He doesn't furrow his brows when we do something stupid, even though we know better. Moved, moved, moved from his guts. Jesus says, oh, I'm willing. Oh, I'm willing. Then there's this miracle that we tend to vault over. And it's the chronology of the healing. It says Jesus held the man and then he healed the man. Do you hear the chronology? While this guy is still disgusting and filthy and he stinks and his skin is sloughing off, Jesus holds the man. And then he heals the man. That slays me. Because what that says is we don't have to clean ourselves up first. It says you bring all your junk to Jesus and he doesn't flinch. He doesn't flinch from his guts. He had compassion. He held the man while the man was still contagious, filthy and contagious. If Liza and I were hanging out this morning and she said, Lisa, I was, I was so excited to get to do lunch with you today. We've had so much fun talking, even though you obviously are not nearly as paleo as I am. Um, but actually, I found out I, I have leprosy this morning. And so if you don't mind, I heard you have the gift of healing. If you don't mind healing me, um, then we can go hang later and get ramen. I'd go, oh, Liza, I like you so much. Of course, I'll heal you. And then I might say something along the lines of, Pastor Jay, I wouldn't really say this, but I'm kind of teasing. I might say something along the lines of, wonder, power twins activate, shazam. And then 
when Liza's skin went back to beautiful again, when she stopped stinking, when her hair was normal, when she was no longer dressed in rags, then I'd hug Liza because gross goo wouldn't get on me then. I'd hug her after she was clean and then we'd go hang. That's not Jesus. While there is still filthy goo emanating from our hearts and minds, he holds us filled with compassion. Y'all, he's so much more compassionate with us than we can even wrap our minds around. I was at a women's conference uh, years ago. It's one of my favorite things that's ever happened on the road. And it was, I don't know, four or 500 women and mostly leaders. It was in Orlando, Florida. And I had the undeserved privilege of being one of the Bible teachers. And so we had this gripping and grinning time before the program started. I don't know what it is about women. We always think we have to have carbs before we study the Bible. And so we were eating something, drinking coffee. And I was drawn to one woman who was in this foyer of this hotel where the event was taking place more than anybody else because she was the only one woman who had brought her baby. <clears throat> and I was just thick as a brick, dumb as anything when it came to men in my 20s and 30s, scared to death of intimacy. I so wanted to be a mom, but I didn't think that would ever happen for me. Um, but I was always drawn to other people's babies. And so I made a beeline to this woman and I, I told her the truth. I said, my name is Lisa. I'd love to meet you, but I really walked over here because I want to meet your baby. And she kind of laughed and she said, well, my name is Molly. And then she gestured down to this little guy in one of those, you know, you get them from Target. It's like half car seat, half bassinet. She gestured down to him and she said, and this is Elijah. And when she said his name, he woke up. You know, sometimes babies will hear their parents' voice and they just wake up. And he just looked up, and when he looked up at me, you know, just fresh from sleep, I thought, what a pumpkin. What a beautiful little boy. He had this shock of almost white hair. You know how Caucasian babies, no matter how much saliva the mama uses, the hair sometimes just won't behave. It was just a shock, a little mohawk of white hair, huge blue eyes. And my second thought was, I wonder if this has been a tricky season uh, because it's very apparent that Elijah has Down syndrome. And Molly and I talked a minute more and she told me that Elijah's birth was a surprise. She's my age, uh, didn't plan on having a third child, was very surprised when she got pregnant. And she said, Lisa, my husband and I trust in the sovereignty of God. So we know that God wove Elijah into our family. But then she was honest and she said, you know, it's been tough. It's been a, a hard season since we brought him home from the hospital because he's not sleeping through the night. So of course I'm not. And he has some ongoing medical issues that, that have really concerned us and they've caused some pretty steep medical bills. She said, we know God has ordered our family to include Elijah, but it's, it's been hard. And I was so grateful she was honest. I get so sick of Christians who act like, oh, no, 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 I'm fine, I'm fine. I was at a conference recently and asked a woman how I could pray for her. And she said, oh, no, I don't need prayer. And I was like, you're about to <laughs> try kick you in the shins. You're being a liar. Um, Molly was honest. She wasn't inappropriate. She didn't air any dirty laundry. She just said it's been a hard season. Well, then we kept having the conference and all of a sudden it was over. It was Saturday afternoon and we were all leaving to go our separate ways. I was standing back in the foyer of the hotel and Molly came walking up and just sheepishly asked me if I'd sign a book for her. And I said, oh, I'd be thrilled to. 
And I start signing in this book. Well, while I'm signing, the women I'd been conversing with continue to talk. And I have a little bit, I think, of undiagnosed ADD. I'm very easily like squirrel. And so I accidentally wrote something these women said in Molly's book, in Black Magic Marker. And I was like, oh, doggone it. You know, I really liked her and I've gone and defaced her book. And I thought, I don't have any more. I feel bad. I really liked talking with her last night. And then from seemingly out of nowhere, I remembered a verse that included the mistake word. And I was like, score. You know, I can fix this and like make it all Pinterest pretty. And that's exactly what I did. I just like wrote this little balloon and made it look like I meant to put that word in there. Closed the book, hugged her. She walked away. She lives in Ohio. I live in Tennessee. I didn't think I'd ever see her again. Maybe five minutes later, she comes walking back up. Obvious she's been crying. And she said, Lisa, when you have a sec, I'd like to talk to you about um, what that verse you wrote in my book meant to me. And I thought, oh, doggone it. Because sometimes I get verses confused with bumper stickers or I mess up. <laughs> Pastor Jesse, I don't know if you ever do this, but you know how you'll go, I know it's a Z book, but I can't remember what Z book it is. Maybe it's Zillafa or something. I don't, I don't know. Sometimes I get the verses mixed up or the addresses mixed up. And I thought it probably wasn't even a verse. It was probably something I saw in, I don't know, Netflix. And she said, remember last night when I told you that it had been a difficult season? I said, oh yeah, I remember. And she said, well, Lisa, I didn't tell you the whole story. She said, it's not just a hard season. It's beginning to feel like um, an impossible season. She said, I'm really struggling with depression. I'm, I'm just having a hard time even getting out of bed in the morning. She said, the last place I wanted to be this weekend was at a Christian women's conference. Because she said, I just can't do perky anymore. And she said, my husband told me he felt like that this would help me. And so I made a, a deal with my husband and I said, I'll go, but I'm not gonna drive with anybody else. I just, I just can't do the small talk. She said, so I drove here by myself and on the way here, I just begged God for something personal. You know, sometimes you need Pastor Jesse to preach something and you go, oh, I just, I was just praying to God about that. Somehow, somehow he had my mail and God used him to go, I see you, I see you, I see you. Um, she said, I was praying that on the way here, so I was really disappointed when the conference ended because I didn't get anything. She said, I mean, it, it's been a good conference and all, but I, I just didn't get that. I didn't get that one thing I was so desperate for. So I just, I just need a knot to hang on to. I'm at the very end of my rope. She said, um, when I got back on the elevator after you signed my book, some other women got on the elevator and I just didn't want to talk I just wanted to get to my room, get my suitcase and go, get my car by myself. And she said, so I just pulled your book up so they wouldn't try to engage me in conversation. And she said, I just opened it up and it fell open to the front page where you had signed. And she said, I was so surprised to see the verse you had inscribed because the verse you inscribed in my book is the exact verse I chose as my life verse when I was in Campus Crusade in college. But she said, Lisa, that was over 20 years ago. She said, I haven't thought about that verse in forever. And she said, I was trying to be cool in college. I chose a really obscure verse, so be like I was super spiritual. She said, I can't believe out of all the verses in the Bible, that's the verse you chose to inscribe in my book. And she said, it was as if the Lord was in the elevator and he just said through his spirit, Molly, I'm right here. I know you feel alone. I know you feel invisible. I know you feel like nobody will get close to you right now. I'm 
right here. I haven't left. And she said, Lisa, I got what I was so desperate for. See that verse you wrote in my book. And I just wanted to say thank you. And I said, Bob and Molly, it's a much bigger miracle than you think. And I told her I wasn't trying to be spiritual, and I wasn't. I said, I wasn't trying to be a good Bible teacher or some smart sage. I said, Molly, my only, my only motivation when I wrote that was to cover up a mistake. That's why I love Peter. That's why I love John Mark. That's why I love the woman at the well. I'm just like him. I I can't be faithful apart from the Holy Spirit. I don't experience intimacy with Jesus except that he moves toward me first and he holds me. So I was just trying to cover up a mistake. But our God is so kind. Our God is so personal. Our God is so compassionate that he used even my mistake as a bridge to embrace this exhausted, beloved daughter of his to say, I've got you right here. I see you and I love what I see. Splagnitzo, my compassion from the very guts of our God. That's what we have access to, y'all. Will you bow your heads just for a moment to sit in the miracle and close your eyes? Pastor's gonna close us, but I want I want you to just sit with that for a second. A.W. Tozer, Tozer, another one of my heroes, he says this, for millions of Christians, God is no more real than he is to non-Christians. They go through life trying to love an ideal and trying to be loyal to a mere principle. You know, Jesus is not a subject to be studied. He is a redeemer with whom we can engage, with whom we can lean into, with whom we can run toward with all of our junk, with the security that he won't look away. He won't back up in disgust. He'll say, come closer. I want to be with you. Come closer. 